if you have an idea that's not panning out, it doesn't mean that the idea is bad. Maybe you just need to pivot. Talk to people, do market research on your idea. You have to talk to people about what they're struggling with. Sometimes I thought I had the best ideas in the world and I would talk to people about it and they'd be like, that's not really a problem for me. Now you know that that's not what you have to work on, but now you have infinite possibilities to pivot. If I gave up after someone told me that wasn't a good idea, but this is what was, I'd be so disappointed in myself. You got to keep going. Like that's life. You're going to get knocked down, but you have to learn that you got to pick yourself up again and keep going because there's no alternative. Hi, this is Hannah Williams from Salary Transparent Street, and you're listening to the Dreams and Drive podcast. Hey, Dream Drivers, welcome to episode 338. And I can't wait for you all to hear today's guest, Hannah Williams, share her journey of how she built her thriving brand, Salary Transparent Street. But first, Here's a quick word from one of our sponsors. Have you thought about your car personality? What's your vibe? Do you like the classic fully gas-powered engine? Are you a best-of-both-worlds type, driving on battery power while keeping gas on reserve just in case? Or are you more inclined to choose a convenient hybrid ride? Whichever your vibe, there's a Hyundai Tucson to match and powertrain to get you there. Hyundai's 2023 Tucson lineup pairs the tech you want with sleek and stylish designs. They paid attention to all of the details, the seats, the dash, the available panoramic roof, you name it, Hyundai thought of it, all while making sure each trim has enough room to hold space for your grocery runs, festival nights, and tailgates. Okay, Hyundai, when it comes to your journey, Hyundai is there for every mile. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the 2023 Hyundai Tucson. The 2023 Hyundai Tucson Plug-in Hybrid is only sold in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont. So have you ever been scrolling on TikTok or maybe even Instagram and come across a video of a woman who approaches a stranger on the street and asks them, what do they do and how much do they make? If so, you've probably seen Salary Transparent Street videos that are run by 25-year-old content creator Hannah Williams. And in her videos, Hannah is tackling the major issue of salary transparency, right? She's trying to encourage strangers to share what they do and how much they make in order to help combat discriminatory tendencies in employment and help close pay gaps that affect women, people of color, workers with disabilities, and the LGBTQ plus community. And honestly, if you're just a person like me, it's really interesting to just see the wide variety of how much people are making and what they do. I've learned about so many different types of careers, so many things that you probably wouldn't know if people weren't openly talking about what they're making. I wanted to talk to Hannah because I'm really interested in how she was able to build her brand so quickly. She started in January 2022, and in just a year, the brand has really grown. She has over 1 million followers on TikTok. She's amassed over $500,000 in brand partnerships and just has really taken the idea of putting a dream into drive to the max. Some of the things that we talk about in this episode include the plan that she had for her life or she thought she had that never panned out how she went through five jobs in just two and a half years, the recipe for success that she realized after building Salary Transparent Street, the advantage of what it means to be first to market, 
why social media is not that easy, so don't let people fool you. How to keep momentum going. Hannah's story really hits on what to do when you feel like giving up and why it's really important to believe in yourself and to keep going and to not be afraid to pivot because in the pivot, there always is an answer and there always is a blessing. If this is your first time listening to Dreams and Drive, make sure that you are following us across the board and social media. And if you want to join our email newsletter, The Keys, and get weekly updates delivered right to your inbox, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash join. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash join. All right, let's hear from Hannah. Hi, Raina. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Is this your first time? I know you're like a video queen, but is this your first time you know, doing a podcast episode? It's not, but it does not get easier for me. I'm so uncomfortable on the other end of this mic doing like interviews. I'm like, can I ask the questions? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's how I feel too. But hopefully today you will feel very comfortable and, you know, Mm -hmm. this hour will pass by very quickly. I'm certain. I love to start our interviews going back in time. And I think it's really important for us to reflect reflect on who we were as children So if I had to say who was the young Hannah, what was inspiring you about the world? How would you respond? You know, it's funny. I I thought about this question and I was thinking, what inspired me? And I feel like I don't have an answer for what inspired me because I just had no clue what I was going to do with my life. Like flat out, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my career. Like nothing really inspired me. Like I just wasn't sure what my fit was. But I did know that I had a great sense of like anger towards injustice. (laughs) That's interesting. Even as a young kid? Even as a young kid, I, I was not a troublemaker, but I was the type to always ask like, why? You know, and like stand up for people and myself. And that got me in trouble. Like I was not afraid to use my voice. You know, like there were some kids in my class that would get bullied and I I would call them out. I'd be like, why are you being mean? You know, and then I would be the one that got bullied and made fun of. But I was like this sense of injustice. I know I've had that since I was a kid. And so like just not being afraid to like stand up to things that I thought were wrong has always been something that I've had. And so I think that that has kind of contributed to where I'm at now in my career. (laughs) Well, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. So I had no idea what inspired me, but I knew, I knew that I wasn't afraid to call out wrong and do something about it. So here we are. So tell me, where did you grow up again? Where in the USA were you located? Great question. I have such a hard time answering this because I actually grew up overseas. So my dad, yeah. Yeah. So here's the story. My dad was a diplomat for the American embassy and my mom was a Belgian diplomat. So I was born in Belgium. I was raised in like six different countries before moving to the United States. So I'm like Belgian American. That's why I have no accent. (laughs) People always ask. You do have an accent. I feel like you have an American accent. You have a standard American accent. Standard American accent. Yeah. And so I moved to the U.S. my senior or not my senior year of high school when I started high school and I moved to Colorado. And so I was there for like three years. And then I moved to the DMV area, like D.C., Maryland, Virginia, for my senior year of high school. And so I've been in this area ever since. Was there anything about coming to live in the United States full time that was startling to you as someone who lived overseas? Oh my God. So many things. But I can tell you that it's something I really wanted. Um, I 
kind of struggled with like always moving around a lot. Like I moved every two to three years my entire life. And I think that I got kind of tired of that as I got older, especially as I got to high school, I was like, I don't want to be the new kid anymore. I'm tired of it. It's not fun. And so when we moved to the States, I was so excited to finally feel like I was home, you know, and that I would make a home base for myself, but it was really hard to acclimate. Like I I wore different clothes from the kids in school. Like I remember I had like these boot cut jeans and that was when skinny jeans were in. And oh, I got, yes. oh my God, I got bullied mercifully <laughs> for it. And so I learned very quickly that like clothes were different. People talked different. Like they had slang that I didn't know. Like everything I learned from American culture, I learned from TV. So I thought it was going to be like friends when I got here <laughs> and it wasn't. That's what, <laughs> I hear it was okay. a lot. I hear that a lot yeah. that people sometimes they like, look at the TV to think that that's mm-hmm. how life really is. Um, and it's so not. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, post high school, going into yeah. college. Did you have mm-hmm. this plan? Because I know a lot of us go into college thinking, I'm going to do this, and then yeah. life happens and it either mm-hmm. pans out or it doesn't. How was that yeah. for you? Oh my God, it was a mess. Um, I will try. <laughs> I love this not already. To- <laughs> Tell us the truth. For sure. I am so excited to share it because like, I feel like if I had heard my story at my age from someone else, it would have helped a lot. And so I'm I'm so happy to share it. Um, I had a lot of ups and downs in figuring out what I wanted to do. Like I told you, I had no idea what I wanted to do growing up. And so when I got to college, I was still kind of in the same boat. I was like, what am I going to do? Changed my major like five times my freshman year. Like I went from Uh, I thought I wanted to be an athletic trainer because I loved sports. And I was like, oh, I get to like be in sports, but I'm not good enough to be an athlete. So like I can still be in the environment. Figured out that I was terrible at anatomy and like anything was science. And I was like, that's something you need. (laughs) So I dropped out of that. Thought I wanted to go into IT and computer science. That wasn't a good fit for me. And so I finally settled on like business, but something really general. Um, And I went to community college, actually, after I graduated high school, I got a full ride at my local community college. So my parents were like, you kind of don't have a choice. Like you're going to yeah. community because you have to the save money. money. Talks, right? <laughs> yeah. At the time I was like devastated. I thought like my life was over. All my friends were going to four year schools, you know, but now I look back and I'm like, I made the right choice. I saved so much money. Um, and so I graduated and I thought I was going to work in sports. So I started doing all these internships in sports ma- management and marketing. Like I worked with um, the commanders, the Redskins at the time. I worked with the nationals. I worked with the wizards. And then I transferred to Georgia. Georgetown to finish out my bachelor's degree. And the reason I went was because they have a huge sports management program. So I was like, I'm definitely going to get a job in sports after I graduate. It's it's like signed, sealed, delivered. It's good for me. Went there. Within my first year, I realized that I just didn't want to do sports anymore. Like I didn't like the hours I was working because when you work in sports, you don't have a weekend and you don't have like an after hour either, because if you have a late game, you have to be there and you have to be hours before the game starts. So like whenever I was working games, I loved it, but I was like, I don't have a social life at all. And I wanted, you know, some balance. So I just realized the pay was bad. The environment was bad. It was not for me. So I was kind of stuck. I was like, great. I went to this school to do this. What am I going to do next? I got bit by the entrepreneurship bug next. Can so I ask you a I question, figured, though, before yeah. you talk about entrepreneurship? How did it feel to let go of this dream? You know, because I think that's something that Carrie. either you're like, all right, I'm good with it. Or did you feel sad? Like, do you remember how you feel, felt during yeah. that time? 
I felt really sad. I was, I was really crushed, honestly, because like I, I grew up loving sports, like, and I made it my personality almost. I made it my, my life was sports. And when I decided that I, I wanted to switch out of it, I was like, what was all the work that I've done for the past, like five years, I felt like worth, like, I just felt like I was throwing away so much time and energy and time I had put outside of my life to do this, you know, like my unpaid internships and everything. I felt like I'd lost a lot of time and money, but you know, you got to keep going. Like that's life. You're going to get knocked down, but you have to learn that you got to pick yourself up again and keep going. Cause there's no alternative. Like exactly. <laughs> I either <laughs> drop out of college and I'm in a worse position or I figure out what to do next. And so, um, I found entrepreneurship. Like I realized, I don't know what happened, but I just you're still realized, in college during this point. Yep. I was still in college. I was starting like my spring semester of, of junior year. So I was like right at the end of my college career trying to figure it out. And I had this random idea, like I'm a foodie and in DC, we have a lot of food trucks. And so, you know, I had like my internships and stuff and I would go to food trucks in the city, like in the square and you wait there for like 30 to 45 minutes sometimes for I food. I can't do that. I like food too I, much. Yeah, I need my food right then and there. Right. But it was so good. Like the food trucks around here are like top tier and they're made fresh and they're, the food is so good and the people are so great that like it's worth it. But I kept realizing like I'm spending my entire lunch break or my time waiting on this food. Why can't I do something like DoorDash or Uber Eats where like I order ahead and then I go pick it up once it's ready? You know, that way I can plan. And I tried looking for a solution for that and I realized it didn't exist. So I was like, I'm just going to create this app myself. Big mistake. I had no technical experience. I was going to say, didn't you give up on IT (laughs) and computer science? (laughs) So I like was in a big pickle there, but I I stuck with it, you know, and I, for the rest of my, my time in college at Georgetown, I like pitched at these pitch competitions. I raised money for the app that I was hoping to build, but I just didn't have enough time. And I think that I was so young in figuring out how to have your own business that it just wasn't meant to pan out. And I got to like a month before graduation, realized. I didn't have a business that I could make money off of when I graduated and I, I needed to get a job and I kind of needed to like figure out my next move and come a big trucker. girl like you know I had to put my big girl pants on yep and I had to face the music you know get a job graduate make money figure it out I had such a hard time finding a job because everybody like at Georgetown, I don't know if this is like a Georgetown thing or like an other school thing, but everybody had a job lined up for graduation in like January or February. That's they how were like, I went to Princeton okay. and everyone was either, you know, had their consulting, their finance mm-hmm. job. Consulting. Yes. <laughs> I right? hate consultants. <laughs> everybody was a consultant. You know, it was kind of intimidating because here I was like a media, you know, media, my background was in media marketing and communications. And I was still looking for a job, right? So I feel you there. So scary. And I was literally like, it was April and I graduated in like mid-May and I had nothing lined up and I was so panicked. The only job I found actually was as a telemarketer. So like cold calling people, like in sales, Mm -hmm. they hired me, like they made me an offer letter within like a week or something. So I was like, maybe that was a red flag that they were so quick to hire me, but I took it, you know, I had to take what I could and I was making $40,000 right after graduation. Like I graduated on a Saturday, started on Monday. It sucked. I had no break, but I, you know, I wasn't one of these rich kids that could take the summer off. I had to start working and pay my bills because I was already living by myself at that time in Arlington, which was high cost of living. But I digress. Um, 
yeah, I hated that job. It was the worst. I was not cut out for sales, not cut out for cold calling. Um, I took things very personally. Think about it. Let me stop you there because as an outsider, right? Uh I can see how all those skills that you were learning have eventually now kind of probably helped you going up randomly to people on the street. And we'll get to that. But what do you think, like looking back on the Hannah then, what do you Mm -hmm. think you were learning about yourself and what Mm -hmm. you're, what you're, innate skills were and strengths were yeah though it wasn't the perfect situation uh uh-huh you totally nailed it um like in retrospect I hated the job like it was not for me but there are so many things that I learned from sales and like I tell everyone now you should take an intro to sales course just something basic like even a YouTube course because there's so many things you can learn from like a pitch or how to get someone's attention or how to you know talk to people and make a sell or pitch yourself there's so many things to learn and really valuable lessons there so I learned a lot like I learned basically perseverance. I was so miserable. I was crying basically every day at my desk, like hated my job, had no idea what to do next. Cause you know, I was like, I have a management degree. I'm in sales. My background is in sports. You know, who's going to hire me? Cause I felt like I didn't have anything direct that related well. Mm -hmm. And so I felt like I was in a pickle, but I really learned at that point, like how to have perseverance and still strive for something better. Like I didn't ever let myself dwell in my misery. You know, like I would give myself like a day to, you know, have my sad binge eating moment, you know, and like cry (laughs) about it. And then the next day I was like, okay, let's put out some job and some job applications. Let's figure it out. And so I kept trying to find another job and really fully by luck. I wish that I had like a good concrete piece of advice here, but it was entirely luck. Um, This company, a consulting company reached out to me, you know, government contracting is so big. You're in in the area though. So I I guess it makes sense, right? Yeah. And so they reached out to me, like they found my resume on Georgetown's like alumni network. And they were like, oh, you went to the business school. You know, we need someone who kind of understands reports and analysis and stuff. Can you do this job? And I think I'm very good at talking and I think I'm very good at job interviews. I'm very good at like articulating why I'd be such a good fit for you. You know, so I think that I diplomats as parents. So maybe that (laughs) maybe that's what helped. But I feel like I hoodwinked them and I got the job. (laughs) So I transitioned into a career in data analytics. I was like a junior data analyst and I was making fifty five thousand dollars a year. So you know I immediately thousand more, right? (laughs) Exactly. I was like cha-ching like this worked. Okay. I'm making more. Now I can start, you know, figuring out how to pay off my debt and stuff. Um, Yeah. So I transitioned there and unfortunately it wasn't a good fit for me. Like I think it had a lot to do with the people as well and not the job. How did you know? How did you know it wasn't a good fit? I was miserable. (laughs) I wasn't inspired. I was twiddling my thumbs a lot. Like I felt like they hired me kind of to fill a seat. And that's something that I, I still to this day kind of get annoyed with like government contracting is that I worked with a lot of people that I felt like were just butts filling in seats and like were not worth what they were making. And it frustrated me because I was like, these budgets are so huge, you know, and I'm like, it shouldn't and be like this you had that, that that injustice seed was always inside of you. You couldn't you couldn't not see the issue. Nailed it. 
Nailed it. Yep. I I have such a strong sense of like battling injustice. It's a problem. And so I was like frustrated by that. And I, I started getting actually like as soon as I got into data analysis, even though I was a junior analyst, I started getting messages on LinkedIn immediately from people who were hiring for other contracts. And I got like Booz Allen. I got like EY, all these big companies in my DM saying, hey, like, are you interested in this role? I was curious. So I would say, yes, I never said no to an interview, no matter whether or not I was interested or not. I wanted to hear kind of what they were offering and if it would be a good fit, because I wasn't sure that I loved what I did now. Like I wasn't sure what my path was forward in that company. So I was like, let me explore. And sure enough, like I talked to Booz Allen and they made me an offer for like $72,000. And so I went to my company and I was like, hey, I got an offer for 72. Like I would stay here if you guys matched it. Like, what can we do? And they brought it up to, I think like 62 or something. And I accepted it, but then I ended up leaving like a month or so later. So now whenever people tell me like, should I leverage another offer? I'm like, don't, unless you really want to stay at that company, because if you're just going to stay for a money increase, like at that company, but you're unhappy with the job, you're still going to leave in a couple months and they're going to be kind of mad at you. So you had I think us, they you were know, a little sad. <laughs> at least for a month, you got to pay a pay, you know, those two paychecks, yeah. something, you know, a exactly. little bit higher. Yeah. So at this point, though, you know, so you were at this point, how many years out of college were you? Cartier, Rolex, Gucci, Prada, Jordan, Adidas, Bottega, Veneta. At eBay, it's real or it's getting the fake out eBay's team of luxury authenticators are making sure you never get faked over again. Watches inspected by watch aficionados, sneakers checked by legit sneakerheads, handbags examined by handbag connoisseurs, and jewelry in the scopes of expert gemologists. These authenticators are leaders in their field with meticulous eyes, making sure your piece arrives as authentic as your style and worthy of your collection. As experts, they know the true difference between a real and a fake. Real carries that rare, distinguished feel. The weight of pure platinum, exquisite scent of Togo leather, the tight stitching on a pair of dunks, the brilliance of real diamonds. So rest assured, your Rolex moves just like a Rolex should, and that colorway on your Jordan Royals will always be on point. The details inspected, the fakes rejected. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal with eBay's authenticity guarantee. Everyone deserves real, Visit ebay.com for terms. Buying your first home can be overwhelming. What is that guy called that's going to give us the money? Who do we talk to next? I'm Nadeska Alexis, and I'm sitting down with real people to talk about their essential home buying questions. And I'm asking some of the top real estate experts in the country to weigh in. Purchasing a home is not a process of selection. It is a process of elimination. Get an insider's view into buying your first home by tuning into Beginner to Buyer on wherever you get your podcasts. I was not even a year out of college. I was like, yeah, yeah. Oh girl, I have a whole job hopping story to tell you. I had five jobs in like two and a half years up until like I just quit. Yes. A thousand percent. Yes. I would do it again in a heartbeat. And like, I'm such an advocate for job hopping today because like, I keep telling people, if you're unhappy where you're at and you cannot fix it, like if money's not going to fix it, if you don't see what your clear path is ahead at the company or there's no way to shift, you know, or move into a different department, don't stay. You're just going to lose your time and be miserable. You know, always do what's best for you. Always. 
that's so important. I think so many of us sometimes have this false sense of loyalty, right? Like we can yeah. be friends with coworkers. Like we, you know, yeah. if you really like the work that you're doing, but not the place mm-hmm. you're doing it at, you're like, but I'm here for the work, right? Yeah. What would you say to that person? It's BS. <laughs> it's literally, it's, it's almost like the way I see it is it's bad to have like really close work friends, even though it's a good thing, right? It makes it hard to leave because the number one reason I think people like their jobs and stay at their jobs is people, not the job itself. It's because they like who they work with or they don't want to like disappoint anyone. But loyalty to a company is is make-believe. It's not real. It's the same way that they don't have loyalty to you. It's at-will employment. You know, they can fire you for any reason at any time. And you should also be able to make the choice that's best for you. Sure, you can like the people you work with, but liking what you do and feeling a sense of fulfillment for that and also making enough to survive is the most important, not your work besties. <laughs> yeah, no, that's really important. Thank you for mentioning that. Um, at this point, though, did you ever have an inkling inside of you to do something else, to pursue a passion yes. outside of work? How yes. did that, you know, how was that fire either igniting or you were kind of quell it, quelling it? How did that? Yeah, happen? so I definitely, it started in college, like when I got bit by the entrepreneurship bug. I just, I knew immediately then that, and I, I would tell my parents this all the time, I don't want to work in a cubicle. I don't want to work in a nine to five. I have no idea what I want to do, but I know that I don't want those two things. And then sure enough, like when I graduated, those were all my jobs. It was a <laughs> cubicle and a nine to five until COVID hit. And then it was my couch. But <laughs> um, I knew that I always wanted to have my own business. Like I, I just didn't know what it was. And I feel so sorry for my fiance. God bless him. Because <laughs> I swear, I, I, I kid you not, I had like a different business idea every week. And like every week it was the new thing that was going to make us rich. And like we could quit our jobs and this is how it was going to work. None of them worked out. And I can tell you, well, I you actually started had, them. You were starting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have like. 10 Instagram accounts still that are like empty, but I like, I took the name, you know, I saved the username before it. Cause I was like, I need it now before it goes viral and stuff. And yeah, like I had so many different businesses, each one I put so much energy into, and then it wouldn't pan out, you know, like I had an idea for frozen dog treats. And then I was like, it's a whole thing to make that and manufacture it. I don't have the time. I had a whole thing. This I, I tried to do a crowdfunding venture capital company called Estrogen Capital to bring like money to women and small businesses. And that was a whole thing. I was I like, like, that's the a name, though. That was pretty, that anyway. was a pretty dope name. <laughs> <laughs> I think I liked the creativity of like coming up with names and business ideas, like more than like going all in on it, but then learning all these things and failing at so many business ideas just kept me going. Like every time I had an idea and something didn't work out, there was always something I learned. I learned all about LLCs. I learned all about budgeting and how to set up your business, how to run it. Like I became really involved in like social media marketing. And every time I was on social, I would be like, what are they doing? What's working? Let me screenshot this. Maybe I can do something similar. I was always looking for something. 
honestly like an out for from corporate America. And I never gave up on that. So funny enough, like what I thought was going to be the game changer for me was my personal account called Stocks and Squats, which is what I started this year, like in February. And I made a video about like all my jobs and how much I made at each one that went viral. And that inspired me to start STS. And when I did STS, I thought it was going to be like, minimal. Like I was like, oh, I'll put it on my personal account. It'll, I'll do one video and it'll do well. I created the STS like separate account. And I'm so glad I did because that immediately like put everything in one place instead of like two. And when it went viral on STS, like hugely viral, I knew that that was it. Like I was like, Ooh. I did it. I, I found that piece. And within a month, I quit my job. So let okay, let's pause there, right? Let's so go wanna, back. I, I, no, <laughs> no, so we're much. gonna go into STS, but I want to just set uh-huh. up the mindset. From what yeah. I hear, is you have this innate belief in yourself, right? Because I think that you have to believe in order to keep failing, right? Like you fail, like okay, but I can still do it. And I think to be a dream driver, right? I think that's a very important quality. How do you think? Like, where did that come from? Or do you have tips for people who? maybe don't have that yet, right? Because I think that's the one thing that can really, Mm -hmm. really set you off, right? Yeah. And that's what I hear from your story. Like you really Mm have this strong belief in yourself. Where did that come from? And then what tips would you have for others who are trying to cultivate that? I think the most important thing is surrounding yourself with people who also believe in you. You know, I, I had my fiance who I've been with for the past five years and he never, ever, ever told me once this is a bad idea. And and not in the sense that he wouldn't tell me like honest critique, <laughs> but he believed, you know, that I could make something happen. And he supported me. Like when I had the idea for STS, I was like, I need someone who's going to come out there and film me. Like I can't go do it myself. And he came with me and now he's my cameraman. So, and like growing up, I, my parents like were really strict and I was like a straight A student, not by choice, but by force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think though, looking back that that belief that you have to be good, you know, like, and you have to do things the best that you can just stuck with me. Like I also in a bad way, I think I'm incredibly hard on myself to this day because of that. And sometimes I'm like, I wish I didn't have that, you know, less of a perfectionist, but I think that just this strive to want to be great and just having people around you who also support you is huge. I hear you there. So let us go. This is the exciting part. I'm so excited okay. to start talking about this. The sal- STS, Salary Transparent Street. I call it Probably. STS because it's such a mouthful. <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, especially if you say it too fast. But, you know, too, I th- too many if, times, if you haven't too heard of it already, you've probably seen Hannah's videos online or on TikTok or on Instagram. Um, so you said that you really started this. Talk, Tell us through the origin story, right? Talk us yeah. through this origin story and... What was the idea? And then how did it expand beyond your wildest dreams? Because it truly has. Okay, let's actually, let's start with the date. Give me the (laughs) date from when the the story starts. So, what's the date? I feel like, so let me go back then because (laughs) going back to like my job hopping because that really like sets everything up, I think. Okay. Um, So I was at my fourth job which was like two years after I'd graduated, I was starting my fourth job. 
I got an offer to be a senior data analyst. So I got like a promotion and they offered me $90,000 from 72 before I was like, yes, I'll take the 90. So I, I took the job, was really excited about it. Within a month of starting, they fired my only other colleague on my team. And he was like my lead. So I stepped into the leadership role with like no experience on the contract. And I was immediately leading like five different communications teams for their analytics. And I was like, overwhelmed, loved what I was doing. And I brought like great value to the client, but I was immediately like, I'm underpaid because I'm working more than 40 hours a week, like easily 50 to 60 and I'm not getting over overtime. So this was literally the first time ever that I looked up how much should I be making? You know, like, am I making enough? And so I looked it up like senior data analyst, Washington, D.C. area, you know, two years of experience. I was underpaid about like $20,000. Like I should have been making in the six figure range and I was at 90. So, you know, in this cost of living where I live, 90 and six figures doesn't even go as far as you would think, but it makes a huge difference. And so I put all this research together, brought it to my company and I was like, hey, can I get a raise? And they, you know, they ran me around in circles for a little bit and then eventually told me, you can't get a raise until you've been here a year. And even then we don't give more than 5% at any time. And that was like way less than I was asking. So that was my first experience where A, I found out I was underpaid. And also I realized I've never negotiated my salary before. I didn't even know you could do that. Like, wow. I, you, you you don't get taught that in school. You know, you don't have like a career 101 course where they're like, by the way, you can negotiate your salary and here's how you do market research. I had to teach myself that. And so immediately I was like, I'm underpaid. I'm leaving. I did the market research. Did you I, have any I, way to go? Or you just going to leave? Yes. So, <laughs> right. Packed my stuff up and left. No, it took like a good few months. It took me like four months before I found my next opportunity. Um, but yeah, like I did an, an interview and I asked the recruiter, what's the budget for this role? You know, when she asked me, what's your salary requirements? I was like, I'm going to flip it on you. What's the budget? And she told me 115. And so I was like, yep, that's what I'm looking for. That's exactly <laughs> aligned with me. And I got the job. Like I got 115K. So immediately I validated. I was under paid. And I found out because of market research and I didn't negotiate my salary. So I was like, there needs to be more conversation about this because I can't be the only one, you know, in my mind, I was like, I started learning about pay gaps, you know, and people getting underpaid. And I was like, I went to Georgetown. I'm a white woman. And I was underpaid like 20, $30,000 for, you know, let's say someone who doesn't look like you, another background, right? It's, It's so ridiculous. And I really understood that also there's this power imbalance with employees and employers. If Mm -hmm. you say are looking for a job like, like I was, and you're desperate to get out, you're going to be less likely also to negotiate or ask for more because you just want to be a yes person. You don't want them to say no, you want the job. So you're going to like lose out on other things that white men would ask for you know and so I just oh my thought, god that is that is so funny I always tell my, my friends and I have this like little uh joke where they're like what would a white man do they and would ask right. for the raise so they you would, would ask, ask for the raise that's exactly what you have to do you have to ask yourself what would a white man do and do that because <laughs> that's what's going to get you ahead and so I started stocks and squats in January like end of January, this early year. February this year. Okay. Yep. So this January year. I don't know the date. Yep. January, okay. 2022. 
And I was, when I started, I was like, I'm going to talk about like how I saved money and paid off my debt. But it really morphed into talking about my career and like job hopping and salary negotiation and stuff. So I made that video where I was like, these were all my five jobs. And this was how much I made at every single one. I didn't think it was going to do that well, but it went viral. And people were like, Wow, like thank you so much for sharing your salary. Like this is so helpful. I got you tell us about TikTok or Instagram first. Which TikTok. One? TikTok. TikTok has been my like gem. Instagram is it's okay. <laughs> it's not been as good as TikTok. TikTok is wild. Um, okay. It's so crazy how many views you can get on some of those videos compared to Instagram. But yeah, it went viral on TikTok. And that was immediately, I was like, salary transparency. There's something there and it has to be talked about. And so I started doing all this research and understanding what the problem was and what pay gaps existed and why did they exist? And, you know, what benefits do transparency bring? And as I did all this, I was just dead set. I was like, this is the way to go. And I just had this random idea that I was like, the way I'm going to get people to see the value of transparency is to talk to them on the street. I'm going to interview them and figure out what they do and how much they make and see if it catches on. And so I posted that video April 13th, I'm pretty sure, the 13th or the 16th of this year. And literally, we filmed the video that day, put it together on TikTok, posted it on TikTok that night. I woke up the next morning and like a million views. And like, 10,000 followers so less or something. than 24 hours less than 24 hours it was immediate and so I was like panicking I was like oh my god we have to do another video like we have to get one out immediately so luckily we had done a ton that day so I made another compilation immediately went viral like immediately and I was like wow like I did something. And since because I had been on TikTok like for the past few months, like three, two, three months, I knew how difficult it was to get views on a video. You know, like to me, I was like, if I got 10,000 views on a video, that was good. You know, Mm -hmm. but this one, anything we posted was hitting a million. I knew that that was gold. Like I knew there was something there. And we started getting like the uh, the Washington Post reached out to me. Business Insider reached out to me. Like I was getting all these emails from people asking to do articles about this. And so I just, I think at that point I was like, if I don't make a business out of this, I've royally messed up because <laughs> everything is telling me that this is a business that can make a lot of money for me. And the most important thing for me was like, I can create, like I can, I can flex my creative muscle. I can be my own boss. It's everything I've ever wanted. So I put in my two weeks before I even knew I had money coming in. <laughs> it so was, I couldn't wait. <laughs> all right. So let's, let's split this out a little bit. Right. Cause I think yeah. there's a lot here. I think it's number one, the idea and time, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. You had done this research, you understood and you posted and it went viral. Not everyone's ideas go viral, but like, no. what do you think about what do you think was the recipe for success here for you, mm-hmm. right? Because that, that's, yeah. you know, there's so many factors at play, but I really mm-hmm. think the need, like this was really a value. This was a, something of value yeah. to people. Like, they need, really needed this knowledge that you were sharing, right? Was Absolutely. there anything else there that was a recipe for success for you? Yes, I would say that it was also because we were the first to do it. Like I had never seen, and the reason I did it was because I'd never seen anyone go on the street and ask people, what do you do and how much do you make? And 
if someone else has done it, I'm sorry, but it didn't go viral. So I didn't see it. Couldn't find you. Didn't happen. <laughs> couldn't find you. It didn't happen. So we were like the first to really do it in our style, like as bold and transparent as we were. And, you know, immediately now we have copycats. And so mm-hmm. it's less common, you know, so I feel like if someone started the same page today somewhere else, it wouldn't be as successful as us because we've already grabbed it, you know? And so I do owe, I think a lot of our success to timing and being the first to do it, because if we were copying something in like literally copying, it's not going to do as well today as it was when we we launched it. And that's such a hard thing, I think, in this creator economy, in this TikTok economy. Like, everyone says, like, you know, you can still, you know, it's a saturated market, but there's someone for you. But sometimes you really need to be the first in order to really have the biggest wave, right? Absolutely. Oh, my God. That's a big part of it. And I think that sometimes it's, we really act like social media is so easy. You know, like, just make a video, you know, and talk about something in your niche and you'll go viral. It's not that simple. There's so many things that go into it. And also, you know, social media sucks. Like I've seen creators of color who do amazing things first, and then it gets copied by white people and they get viral, you know, versus the people of color who created it. And I see that so many times. And so it's, it's tough, you know, like there's also so many things that are going against you sometimes that you can't see and can't control. But I think that if you have that passion and you know what you want to achieve, you have that mission, if you stick to it, you're going to connect with people and your community is what's going to elevate you. They're everything. So you have to really cater to them. And once you put them first and you know what your goals are, that's a recipe for success. Chances are you aren't sharing an epic dinner with your friends right now, but you could be. Just book a seat at a private dining event with your Chase Sapphire Reserve card. Then get to it. A multi-course menu, insane flavors, a wine pairing. Ooh, is that crispy duck? Experience more unforgettable dinners with private dining events from Sapphire Reserve. Chase, make more of what's yours. Learn more at chase.com slash Sapphire Reserve. Cards issued by JPMorgan Chase Bank and a member of FDIC. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Hey, Dream Drivers, it's holiday season, and I don't know about you, but I am so excited because it's one of my favorite times of the year. Not only am I looking forward to seeing family and friends that I haven't seen in a while, but I'm also just looking forward to the rest. You can't be on go all the time. You got to sit back and take the time to refuel via food and drink. And my family's Jamaican, so every gathering is going to have some of these staples. Mommy's rice and peas. Daddy's curry goat, grandma's stewed turkey, auntie's mac and cheese, uncle's rum punch, jazzed up with the little you know. And now that I'm a cook, well, I'm going to be busting it down in the kitchen with my famous, soon to be famous, I should say, jerk chicken. Once the food is done, the dominoes, laughter, and drinks commence. And one thing I know is Coca-Cola pairs perfectly with every holiday get-together. The holidays always find a way. Enjoy the real magic of the season by surrounding yourself with good friends and family, delicious food, and of course, ice cold Coke. And you know, one of the things too, is you actually had to have buy-in from the people who were going to be part of your video, right? Yeah. How did you sell it? Like you, you had done, you know, you had done sales (laughs) and telemarketing before. I think that's What do you think made people want to go out and share? Because I think that's also something very taboo. I don't know about how it is in other countries, but just the idea of salary transparency overall, 
we don't talk about how much, you know, even within our friend circles, right? It's like, you don't want to make someone feel bad. It's like you're making yeah. more money than them. But I love your, 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 you know, page because I'm able to just see, oh, wait, they're making this in this area. And you realize sometimes people don't have shame talking about it. Like I put, I'm putting shame on the idea, but some people are happy to share. Right. Yeah. And that's such a big taboo. There is like, I think a lot of the money taboo is shame. Like it makes me think, have you ever seen Big Mouth? Uh, do you know uh, the care the oh it's on Netflix it's so good they have it's like a cartoon thing and they have this um shame monster who like okay. haunts the kids and like talks about their different shapes and I'm like there needs to be a money shame monster <laughs> because like that's the thing like shame is so prevalent like what I tell people is the people who answer most likely are usually between like 50k to 150k like those are the yeses we get to interviews okay. anyone under 50 or over 150 that's where the shame monster comes in. And I think that the people under 50 are embarrassed or worried that, you know, people will judge them or call them dumb or like, you know, like there's this shame. And then on the other side, you have the people over 150. And I think that they're the ones who are like, well, I don't want someone like judging, you know, like whether or not I'm worth that much. And, you know, they also are like, gatekeeping. So there's, there's two sides of it where I think there's a lot of emotion that comes through and why it's taboo, but money is just a number. And like how much you make says nothing about who you are or what your value is to society or what you contribute to society. And I think that we also need to understand that some of the most valuable people in our society in terms of what they contribute, like healthcare workers, teachers, bus drivers, Metro, all of that, Sometimes they're the lowest paid workers in our society. And if you look at it from that clear 50 foot view, you know, and you're like, wow, like the most important people make the less least amount in our in our town. Then I think that that's important to like redirect how you view money and that it's not in your control per se. It's based on what the company's budget is. It's based on whether or not you negotiated your salary and your recruiter was biased against you, you know, like all these things. And so money is just a number. We need to remove this emotion and see it just exactly as it is. I'm so, I love that you share that. And I think that's why like having this platform and continuing to share this content is so important. Was there something you were learning about how to keep the momentum going, right? Because you could have one, two, three viral videos, but what were you thinking from like a content marketing perspective of how you could really use this content to eventually help inform the business part of it? Yeah, you know, it was scary at first because, and I I still feel kind of like this, that I'm on a hamster wheel, you know, like the internet never stops. It never goes to sleep. And so I take a lot of creativity from the internet. Like, what am I seeing? What is something that's a trending career that I want to profile? Should I stand outside a hospital and try to get a bunch of healthcare workers? Because that's what it seems people are interested in. So I try to get a lot of knowledge from what's my community talking about? What are Mm -hmm. the comments saying? What do people want? I literally, my community is everything to me. Like I communicate with them directly on Instagram through stories. And I'll ask them all the time, you know, what do you want to see next? What questions do you have? You know, and I I just love that they help grow the channel because it's what they want to see. They tell me exactly what they want to see. And so I just listen. Um, And also, it's also about 
keeping fresh content, I guess. We are in the DC area. So when we first started, everything that we filmed was in the DC area. But then we had people say, well, this isn't relatable to me because these are like six figure salaries. And when I hear like 110, I'm like, okay, that's about like 60K, you know, like in Idaho versus here because it's so expensive. But people don't have that relation unless you live here. You know, you don't know that it's a high cost of living area. So it's important to keep things fresh and go to new areas, show different walks of life, different cities, different states. And so one of our goals in the end of 2023 is to hit all 50 states. We've hit like eight or nine now. So hopefully we'll hit all 50 in 2023. And so then, you know, how did you start thinking about how you can build a business around this, right? Because from the outside looking in, it's like, you're just talking to people. Where's the money in this, right? But of course, I know from like partnerships and all that stuff. So how were you able now to say, all right, let's start thinking about how we can really build a life and a business around this idea? Yeah, I knew immediately that our entire money revenue was going to come from brand partnerships. And that was the big money. Like I, I had had my personal account. So I I saw creators selling like guides, you know, and selling things in their link tree. And that's like 25 bucks, a hundred bucks, a resume review. That's great. But it's not going to, it wasn't going to give me the money that I was like, I'm making six figures. My fiance is making six figures. We need to replace that, <laughs> you know, and it can't be half. It has to be enough to support. So he was in we- with you. He's like, I'm, I'll take this ride with oh, you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep, yep, yep. So he was, he was more nervous. Like he waited two or three weeks, I think, until I'd quit. And then he was like, That's okay, like I'll quit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> He was going to come. Really, he, just needed- <laughs> he just needed a push. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was all brand partnerships. So like how I knew we were going to make the money and survive was we had like talks already going with LinkedIn, Indeed, ZipRecruiter, like perfect niche brands. And because, you know, we had gone viral, we were very successful in the media. These brands were now, okay, we want to work with you because you align really well. And so it was a couple months of like talking to those brands it did not happen overnight. And like, I, I like taught myself a lot of financial literacy and stuff. So I had already set up our savings account by the time we quit that we could live off of our savings for like three or four months. And I was like, we can survive for three to four months, but if we don't have anything after that, we're in hot water. But I like, I knew that in those three to four months, something was going to execute. And sure enough, like our first brand deal we did with this like fintech app called Clio. And we just did like a simple video with them. And we, you know, it was like a CTA at the end with like a partnership paid ad that was $5,000, you know? And so my paycheck after taxes was like $6,000 biweekly, like total. So like three K per, you know, every two weeks. And so I was like, wow, I just made $5,000, you know, which is like almost my monthly take home. And And all I had to do was do a video. Yeah. So it was wild. <laughs> and as we grew, you know, I, I had some help from some agents to start. They also, um, I had a company that gave me like $20,000 as an investment to travel, you know, because I was like telling them I want to travel, but I can't afford that. Like I can keep paying my bills, but I can't dish out $5,000 in travel arrangements. And so they helped with that. And, you know, that made a huge difference for us. And by the time we were in June, I think we signed our Indeed deal. I think that was in June. And that was worth almost like half a million dollars for six months. And I was like, okay, I made the right choice. <laughs> so listen, I... January. Do you remember? (laughs) Hannah said January 2022 was when, you know, the beginning. 
by June. So that is legit only five months. Six, let's say just, yeah. let's just say six months, right? Yeah. Your life changed in six months. You went from like nothing to almost mm-hmm. half a million dollars, right? Yeah. How did that it's feel? Wild. I, know, I keep saying like, <laughs> I, I can only imagine. Did, did you feel pressure to like, all right, we got to keep this going? Or did you did you kind of feel, I guess, relief? I don't know. How did, how did that sound? That's a great question. I felt good. I could tell you that. I did a, a lot of happy dances. I was thrilled. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it's scary too, because it's like, it's ominous in a way being a creator financially, because it's like, okay, that's big money, but that's six months. Yeah. What do I have after that? How do I make sure that I renew this? You know, and if that doesn't work out, how do I make sure that I save this money to make sure that I'm okay after? And so it's like, it's so great to get that money and it's so great to get those deals, but it is still stressful because, you know, in the back of your mind, you're like, this isn't forever. Like quitting my job, I think the the biggest stress between my full-time job before and now being a full-time creator is that consistency and income. It's so scary to not have consistent income. Like I'll do a deal with um, some people and, you know, our rate for a video now is $15,000 just because of how big our audience is. And so I'll do one video one month for 15,000. Awesome. Great do you guys want to do another video? You know, and then it's crickets. Like they just want the one. And so I'm like, oh, you know, the most important thing for me right now is getting that consistent income because the stress is phenomenal (laughs) to like figure it out. Yes. No, I just think that it's really important for us to like be real about that because, you know, as you were saying, consistent income is like, you know, to have your, to run a business, people think running a business is easier than running a nine to five. The lifestyle is different, but sometimes the stress can be a lot. Like, as you guys were saying, how do you manage that? Because the one thing I say is no job is ever secure, right? You can make a lot of money, but as you, it's not secure. Like nothing is in life will ever be a hundred percent secure unless you're a trust fund baby and you (laughs) have like money coming in. A nepotism baby. (laughs) You know, right? Like that's the only time anything will be secure. So we do live with some sort of risk, right? Um, How do you manage that stress and also like have time for innovation and thinking about what's next? Yeah, great question. That's something, honestly, I struggle with so much. Um, Like my mental health is something that is always a work in progress. And I do get, I have anxiety. I, I struggle a little bit with depression. And so as a creator, that is something that my business is me, you know, my business is my brain. And so when my brain is not cooperating with me, it's incredibly difficult. And so like, I, I want to stress that, yes, I am making more money than I've ever seen in my life and I'm living my dream, but it comes with its struggles. And sometimes like I do miss my nine to five because it's so easy to just clock in at nine, clock it and clock out at five and take the weekend off. I have not had a weekend off since I started this. I work seven days a week and I easily work over 40 hours. So there's a trade-off, right? But managing stress and learning how to manage that anxiety, as you asked, is so key, um, especially with innovation. Because what I found is sometimes I'm like, I work, 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 work. And it feels great because I'm like, I'm getting so much done, you know, but then I have no creativity. I get burnt out. And so it's so funny that the way to fix that actually is to do nothing, like to go for a walk, go for a hike, 
watch TV, sit on the couch, do absolutely nothing. I have to make time to do nothing so that I don't get burnt out, which is wonderful. <laughs> but it's hard because it's always like in, in the back of my brain, there's always something to do. It never stops. And so that is a really big struggle for me. But I would say to make sure that innovation does not die, find time for yourself, find time away from your phone to do nothing and to just sit with your thoughts and refresh, recharge. And I think that that has been hugely paramount for me to keep going, but it's a, it's a struggle. I don't have all the right answers, <laughs> but I think that, you know, as we've gotten bigger too, I just hired an executive assistant like last month. And so I have help now. My fiance helps me. So like having a support system around you is everything. I was going to say that because, you know, like no everyone, there's this quote that, like, you know, there's no such thing as an overnight success, but you truly yeah. have been an overnight success. <laughs> so there is like, sometimes when it happens quickly, you have to just like, you're just going, 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 you just going. just got to adjust. Hopefully, yeah. Hannah, though, hopefully you are able to take some time off. You deserve it, right? Like you guys got to, you know, go take a week or like three <laughs> days in Mexico somewhere. Maybe oh, girl, the international salary, <laughs> yeah. la calle de salary, salary transparent transparency. I don't know, whatever, right? Like you can do I literally, <laughs> I booked a week in the Dominican Republic in January. And I told my assistant, I was like, I'm throwing my phone in the ocean. Don't reach me. Don't throw it in the ocean. Put it in like a lockbox or something. <laughs> right. But I was like, I'm taking it off. Like I, I need the break and I think it's going to be amazing. <laughs> but then I was like, while we're there, we should shoot salary transparency. Uh, but, no, no. But just I'm like, no. But what, right. like now, you know, let's think of, since we're, we're recording this in the beginning of uh -huh. December, 2022, I'm not sure yet if this will go live in January or like yeah. end of this, this month. Okay. But we're recording uh -huh. January, we're de recording December, 2022, people listening mm -hmm. in, um, Hannah, you started this in January. How do you think the mm -hmm. Hannah, January Hannah is different from December Hannah? That's such a good question. Oh my gosh. I think... I know I'm changed. I know I'm a different person. I have no clue how though. I feel like, honestly, I would say I'm happier. Like mm. aside everything, like the struggles, I'm infinitely happier. Like achieving my dream, which was really just to be my own boss and to like make my own success and like have, for me, like I really wanted creative flexibility. Like I would, as a data analyst, I would sometimes tell people like, you know, I'm a data analyst, but you should really make like a video like this. Cause I was mm -hmm. helping like the broadcast operations team with their analytics, you know? And yeah. so I would tell them like, you guys should really make a video like this. Like this would perform really well. And here's a good idea for it. So even back then I wanted to create stuff, but I didn't, you know, they would tell me like, okay, thank you come back later, tell us when our, our dashboard is ready. You know, <laughs> like they didn't care to hear what I had to say for creativity. So the fact that I get to do that every single day now, like I get to direct production, I get to come up with these ideas, I get to create. And there's really, what I love is like, when you have a job, sometimes it's really hard to get if you're, if you're a person who gets, who likes feedback, like criticism in a good way, positive, negative, someone who needs feedback, creative, being a creator is a perfect fit for you because 
you get instant feedback on whether or not your video is good or not, or what your idea was good or not. And so for me, I love getting feedback. It's, I, I thrive on positive feedback. And so when I do a good video, like, and I don't know if it's good, but then it goes viral. It's such a good feeling to be like, that was a good idea. Millions of other people thought so too. I, I just can't tell you how good that feels. Is there a story or a video that really like touched you in some way? There's so many, honestly, like every time I leave my house, I I run into someone who recognizes me and they'll tell me like, you changed my life or something. And I, that never gets old. I, it's so embarrassing, but I get like really emotional. Like I've almost cried in Target a couple of times for people (laughs) like talking to me. So I don't know, like there's so many, but one that really sticks out to me, I was in DC and I was doing this photo shoot for a newspaper and we were heading home and this lady, like I turn around to like talk to my fiance or something. And this girl behind me, like looks at me and you can just see like on her face, she's like, oh my God, like I know you. And she just like got very emotional, like telling me about how our videos had impacted her. She actually worked in HR in DEI for a nonprofit. And I'm like, okay, I hope I, I positively impacted you because you usually hate me. <laughs> and she was like, I've literally told my company about your videos and like the value of transparency. And now we're working on implementing that in the company. And as someone in HR, I tell people about your videos and I encourage them to negotiate their salary. Like every single thing she could have said to me to like make me melt, she said. And I remember like, I was really emotional and we filmed her. We, we got her video. It didn't perform very well because people don't like HR. <laughs> but to me, it's like one of my favorite ones. Cause I, I just feel like I have such intimate connections with people that I don't know that are complete strangers, but this connection of like F the system. Now I'm making more money, you know, and I feel empowered just brings people together. But, you know, there's so much here, but I would love to ask you, Hannah, like there might be someone listening in right now who's been at something for a long time, right? Is on Mm -hmm. the job hopping wheel or, you know, on this entrepreneurship hopping wheel, trying to figure out things aren't working out for them. What would you, what advice would you give them if they feel like giving up right now? Don't. That moment where you feel like giving up is the key moment to decide what you're going to do next. Like you have to grasp it. You have to feel empowered by that and realize you can figure it out and pivot like any which way, or you can give up and you're never going to know what worked out if you give up. And if you give up, you're going to be disappointed in yourself because if you got that far, you you internally will be sad if you give up. And so I just want to stress to people If you have an idea that's not panning out, it doesn't mean that the idea is bad. Maybe you just need to pivot. Talk to people. Do market research on your idea. Talk to people about your idea. And if they are like, well, that's not my problem, but this is my problem, that's what you have to listen to. You have to talk to people about what they're struggling with. Sometimes I thought I had the best ideas in the world and I would talk to people about it and they'd be like, that's not really a problem for me. That's great. Now you know that that's not what you have to work on, but now you have infinite possibilities to pivot. If I gave up after someone told me that wasn't a good idea, but this is what was, I'd be so disappointed in myself. 
Yeah, don't give That's up where on I yourself. am right now, even with Dreams and Drive, is like we were talking about before the interview started, is like mm-hmm. venturing into video, figuring out yeah. how do I get these new listeners? Because the OG Dreams and Drive listeners are going to be listening no matter what, right? But how do I make the content fresh? How do I get the right guests that are like, you know, the things that people want to hear about now? So that's where I am. So I'm going to be taking that advice to heart. Lean into it. Yep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's talking to people and like not living in your own silo because what you think is going to work sometimes sometimes it's like the something you can you couldn't even think about in, unless you talk to someone else and got yeah. that feedback so you know what's interesting is i think so many people i'm one of those like i would have ideas and i didn't want to tell anyone because i was like i don't want to give you my idea or i don't want it to you know get copied by someone else there's that was a fear of mine but now every single idea i have for sts I run it by my family. I run it by my fiance. I run it by my friends. I'm like, what do you think of this question? You know, do you think this is right? And I've had a ton that they told me, no, that's not a good one, but you should ask this instead. That is everything. Like you just have to talk to people and not take things personally. Like any type of criticism is good criticism. It's a good thing. Love it. So lastly, Hannah, (laughs) if you want to be a dream driver, you have to have your keys to success. So can you tell me three things that you think every dream driver needs in their toolkit Mm -hmm. before they hit the road? The number one thing is passion. And it doesn't have to be, you know, like you don't have to be passionate about milk, you know, if you're making milk or something, but you have to be passionate about the mission. So the second part is, is making clear what that mission is and passion and mission have to connect. You have to have the passion to achieve the mission. You don't have to have the passion per se for the business or the product, but you have to like end all be all has to be your mission. And that has to be very clear. That's for me is so key. And then finally is the plan. So you have to start with the mission or the, the passion. You have to then correlate that to a mission that's very clear. And then you have to make a plan, whether that's How am I going to monetize? What do I need? What equipment do I need? Who do I need to talk to? You have to lay all that out. And once you have that clear, like, you're like, this is what I'm going to do. This is what I want to achieve. And this is how I'm going to do it. That's all you need. Yeah, and I, I caught that because you mentioned like our 2023, end of 2023 goal. And so you're already, you're already yep. mapping it out. So I love yeah. that. And I think it's inspiration <laughs> for all of us who are listening, like dream big. It might not yeah. happen the way you think it's going to happen, but at least yep. having the plan, you know where you want to go, right? So Yep, exactly. Oh, I can go all day. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Hannah. Please tell our dream drivers if they haven't already checked out Salary Transparent Street. Where can they find you online? How can they connect further and be a part of your community? Yeah, so you can find Salary Transparent Street anywhere on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, you name it. (laughs) We're there for you. I wanted to know why some people who get COVID-19 get it so bad. I found out it may be because they have a high risk factor, such as heart disease, diabetes, being overweight, smoking, and asthma. Even if symptoms feel mild, These factors can increase your risk of COVID-19 turning severe. So if you're at high risk and test positive, there are things you can do, like asking your healthcare provider if an authorized oral treatment is right for you. Learn about an option at TreatCovid19.com. This message is sponsored by Pfizer. Dancing crew, trip for two, nail the final interview. Game with Doug, brand new mug. 
Come here, kid. Give me a hug. The more you want to do, the more we want to do. Boosters designed for COVID-19 variants are now available. If you've had your primary series, schedule an updated COVID-19 booster appointment as soon as you're eligible. Sponsored by Pfizer and BioNTech. All right, so that's a wrap for this episode of Dreams and Drive. I hope you enjoyed our guest's dream driving journey as well as listening to their keys to success. If you love this episode, you know what to do. Please make sure that you are following us. We are at Dreams and Drive across social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So make sure you're sharing this episode, posting it to your Instagram stories, texting it to a friend, sharing on LinkedIn, wherever you are or online. Just pay this forward and share this with somebody. We really appreciate it. And all the sharing that you do helps us grow our community. If you want to join our email newsletter, The Keys, and get weekly updates delivered to your inbox, just go to dreamsanddrive.com slash join. That's dreamsanddrive.com slash join. And lastly, if you know somebody who would be great for this show, or if you are someone who would be great for this show, please go to dreamsanddrive.com slash pitch. I'm always accepting new guests. I'm always accepting new pitches. So I love to see those pitch requests coming in. Keep dreaming, keep driving, and we'll chat again in the next episode. Bye, guys.